A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with us on the program today. We're going to be talking about uh, the latest with Hunter Biden. Not necessarily the latest in terms of the uh, legal doings. There's not a whole lot going on there other than the fact that uh, Hunter apparently wants to appear virtually for his arraignment, not in person. Now, we're going to be talking about the spin surrounding the uh, indictment of Hunter Biden. I think there's a bit of transference going on on the left here where they're trying to make this an uncomfortable situation for Second Amendment advocates as opposed to the uncomfortable situation this poses for gun control groups, uh, not to mention Joe Biden himself. We'll get to that here in just a second. Before we do, you know, Biden's America, it is crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers, one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink, as you well know, every time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. The truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that is why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, with thousands of five-star reviews. And they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. So I guess today is a tale of two headlines. Um, you have this at Newsweek. Hunter Biden's gun charge is a distraction from his real crimes. Uh, this from uh, John Yu and John Shu, uh, both veterans of the Bush administration. I think Schubert worked in both uh, the H.W. and W. Bush administrations in the uh, Justice Department. And we'll get into their argument. But basically, saying, listen, the, the gun charge that Hunter Biden's facing, the least serious of the uh, crimes that he is accused of committing. And David Weiss is um, engaging in some political shenanigans here, not only with the uh, you know tax problems and uh, Hunter Biden's finances, but with the uh, gun charges themselves. Then you've got this counterpoint, kind of, uh, from uh, Slate Magazine. Headline, Hunter Biden's indictment has put gun groups in awkward bind. Yeah, uh, Molly Olmstead writing about this at Slate, which, again, does beg the question, why, why why doesn't this put gun control groups in an awkward bind as opposed to Second Amendment groups? I mean, after all, it is the president's son here who is facing charges. The gun control groups love Joe Biden. I mean, most of the major groups have already endorsed his reelection bid. Anyway, we'll get into that in just a second. So back to the Newsweek piece, uh, John Yu and John Shu. Say that uh, David Weiss charged Hunter with making a false statement while purchasing a farm in 2018 and possessing a farm while using illegal drugs or controlled substances. Noting it took Weiss five years to indict Hunter Biden on such straightforward, easily proven offenses, but just seven weeks after the collapse of his giveaway plea deal with Hunter. That, they write, is the justice delayed part. More importantly, they add, the firearms charge reflects no progress in investigating the real scandal. And Hunter Biden concealed millions of dollars that he received from foreign companies and individuals linked to unfriendly governments, and that Hunter may have influenced U.S. government policy in exchange, evaded laws, and distributed the questionable gains throughout the Biden family network, perhaps ultimately to Joe Biden himself. That, they write, is when it becomes justice denied. They also push back on the idea that the prosecution of Hunter Biden is politically motivated. 
Uh, they write, far from being politically motivated to come after Hunter, whistleblowers credibly accused Weiss of deliberately slow walking and interfering in the Hunter investigation. And while Weiss was busy not indicting Hunter Biden, the Supreme Court in 22, uh, 2022 decided Bruin, which said that the government, when justifying a fire regulation, quote, must demonstrate that the regulation is consistent with the nation's historical tradition of fire regulation, opening up new challenges to existing state and federal regulations. If Weiss had brought the case quickly, instead of waiting five years, this new ruling would not have been available to Hunter's lawyers who already indicated that they plan to use it to challenge the indictment and plan to base part of their arguments on the recent Bruin-related decisions from the Fifth Circuit in U.S. v. Daniels and U.S. v. Rahimi, as well as the Third Circuit in Range v. Garland. Delaware, they note, is in the Third Circuit. In other words, uh, if Weiss hadn't been slow-walking this, then the uh, defense available to Hunter Biden today would not have been available back then. Okay. Now, Again, do I think that David Weiss was intentionally slow walking the gun charge against Hunter Biden in order because he just, you know, had the uh, precognitive ability to know that the Bruin decision was coming down, this is what the Bruin test was going to be, and that would give Hunter Biden an out? No. Again, I think it goes back to the original plea deal that was rejected by the federal judge here. This deal never should have been offered in the first place. But once it was called out by the judge, David Weiss really didn't have much of a choice except to go back and again do what should have been done the first time around. Of course, Hunter Biden's attorneys say, well, listen, that, that plea deal wasn't off the table, right? The gun charges should still be deferred, dismissed. Why is it now under the microscope? And uh, if he's still not trying to do everything completely by the books, I think he is trying to do things in a way that will not raise too many undue questions. Now, I do still anticipate that a plea deal is going to be in the works, and I would be surprised if that plea deal actually came with any prison time, even though... That is often what the government requests in similar cases. In the case of U.S. v. Daniels, for example, that uh, case out of the Fifth Circuit that John Yu and John Shu referenced. Uh, in this case, Mr. Daniels uh, was caught with a gun and a small amount of marijuana in his car. He admitted to smoking marijuana, and he was charged again uh, with the same crime that Hunter Biden is accused of uh, committing as well, being an unlawful user of drugs in possession of a firearm. In that case... The uh, U.S. government asked for, I believe it was between 18 and 24 months in prison for Mr. Daniels. Yeah. Another case out of Michigan that we covered at Buried Arms a few months ago, where, again, that, that was the, uh, the sentence range requested uh, by the federal judiciary. There was another case back in, I think it was 2022 or 2021, case out of Connecticut, where a, a guy had been investigated by the ATF for allegedly selling guns under the table. Now, they couldn't apparently find enough evidence to charge him with that, so it might not have happened to begin with. But in the course of talking with the guy, he admitted that he smoked marijuana on a fairly regular basis to sort of self-medicate his PTSD. Again, that's what they charged him with, being an unlawful user of drugs and possession of a firearm. The government in that case had requested an 18 to 24-month prison sentence, but the federal judge in the case said no uh, and sentenced the man to probation instead, ruling that uh, marijuana was going to be legal under Connecticut law in a short period of time and Likely legal under federal law. Of course, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, but again, in most of those cases, what we have seen is that the government at least requests prison time. I'm not sure that that's going to be the case here with Hunter Biden. So then we get to this uh, idea from Slate. And I've seen others. I, I think it was uh, might have been New Republic had a piece along these very same lines. Oh, boy. Isn't this Hunter Biden indictment just awkward as hell for Second Amendment groups, right? Oh, it's really put them in an awkward bind. As uh, Olmstead writes, when news broke last week that Hunter Biden had been indicted by federal prosecutors for lying about his drug use while possessing a gun, 
Gun Owners of America, a hardline gun rights lobby, responded with glee. Good, the organization tweeted with the clapping emoji. If his father wants to work with us to repeal unconstitutional gun control, our lobbyists will be in the White House within an hour. Until then, Hunter shouldn't get any sweetheart deal. It was the most exuberant reaction, she writes, of any gun rights organization to the Hunter News, a sign that most conservative opponents of gun regulations were struggling to square a political victory for those who dislike President Biden with the consequences of a law that they oppose. But these groups appeared to find common ground in a single message. If there have to be bad laws, at least Hunter can be taken down by them, too. Now, first of all, I don't consider that to be an awkward position. If you've got a bad law in the books, you want to see that law go away, okay, that, 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 that's one thought, right? I don't like this law. I'd like to see it disappear. How does that, how does the position of, but since the law is on the books, it should apply equally, you should not get celebrity justice or political justice, where you get to avoid consequences for your actions. How do those two things contradict each other? I don't think that they do. Now, I've talked about this on the program, as well as writing about this at Bearing Arms, for years. I would be thrilled if the uh, federal prohibition on unlawful drug use for gun owners disappeared tomorrow. Uh, particularly when it comes to things like marijuana, medical marijuana. I, I think that we are in an absurd and untenable position. You know, broad swaths of the American public admit to using marijuana either recreationally or for medicinal purposes, and yet it remains illegal to do so under federal law. So every time one of those Americans, let's say a cancer patient or somebody with you know Parkinson's, uh, imbibes to help them with their symptoms, uh, maybe to alleviate some of the symptoms of their disease, again, they are if they're a gun owner, they're running the risk of going to federal prison as a result. So most folks, I think, are forced to choose between exercising the right to keep and bear arms and trying to treat the symptoms of their condition. Or again, in states where marijuana has been uh, legalized for recreational use, and you can pound down an entire case of beer every night if you want. You're not going to run afoul of uh, federal law. But if you so much as smoke a bowl, well, then again, you're committing a federal felony. So I don't have any problem whatsoever. With the uh, federal modification, with the federal uh, uh, laws um, being overturned by the courts, but I also don't like to see people get off because of their political connections. And again, I don't think that that is an awkward position. Now, um, the Slate article goes on to say, according to the New York Times, actual prosecutions of individuals who've lied on their applications for guns are extremely rare. Prosecutions on the third charge are less rare, but are typically bundled with other criminal charges and are not pursued on their own. Hunter Biden never used the weapon, had no criminal record, and committed no violent act. A substantial percentage of those accused of lying on a federal firearms application, quote, negotiate deals that include probation and enrollment in programs that include counseling, monitoring, regular drug testing, the Times report stated. It's unlikely that Hunter would have been subject to this level of scrutiny were it not for his public profile. Well, remember, first time around, he wasn't. Subject to that kind of scrutiny, at least not on the part of prosecutors, because they offered him one hell of a deal. He could enter a pretrial diversion. He could have his record wiped clean. And the judge said, yeah, you know what? I don't really think that's appropriate, especially when you are absolving Hunter, or uh, at least his attorneys claimed, that the plea deal absolved him from uh, being investigated for any additional crimes. Now, the idea that Slate says, well, listen, uh, you know, th these uh, prosecutions are awful, uh, also uh, typically bundled with other criminal charges and not pursued on their own. Remember, 
Hunter Biden was also originally accused of financial impropriety, right? So in that case, these charges were bundled and were not pursued entirely on their own, and they may not be uh, pursued entirely on their own. We don't know what else Weiss might come up with right now. The uh, gun charges are what's hanging over Hunter Biden's head, but that could change in the future. Now, Olmstead writes, uh, these tepid responses from the uh, Second Amendment groups show just how much partisan politics plays into stated policy goals. The ambivalence from gun rights groups may not be surprising, given the political awkwardness of the situation, but it is notable given the opportunity to promote a new ally for the cause. On Friday, Hunter Biden's attorney made the argument that would, under other circumstances, have been articulated by the gun rights groups themselves. The statute his client was charged under, the attorney said, was likely unconstitutional. Well, gun groups have actually been making that very same argument, despite what Olmstead writes. Now, it's true. I, I don't think the Hunter Biden arrest is, is particularly awkward for Second Amendment groups. I think the idea of uh, saying, all right, listen, man, someone who's admitted to smoking crack every 15 minutes, they should be able to own a gun as long as they're not high while they're possessing a gun. I think that is kind of an awkward situation for some gun rights groups. They don't really want to be pro-crack, right? You don't want to be pro-meth at a time in which you've got drug overdose deaths topping 100,000 in this country. From a political perspective to say, listen, the Constitution does not allow you to bar unlawful users of drugs from possessing a firearm, at least not while they're using drugs. That, that is a politically awkward statement, right? Kind of sounds like you're being soft on drug addicts, like you're being soft on addiction, like you're being soft on the violence that is an inherent part of the illegal drug trade. And I get that. But at the same time, the Second Amendment says what it says. And the Bruin test says what it says, right? That in order for a gun control law to be constitutional, you have to find historic analogs. You have to look at the history, the text, and the tradition of the right to keep and bear arms. And the tradition of the right to keep and bear arms does not, until modern times, prohibit the possession of firearms among people who use intoxicants. Now, there again, there are plenty of laws on the books that say you can't have a gun on you when you're drunk, right? But there are very, very few laws, even during Prohibition. I don't think you found any laws that said... If you possess alcohol, you give up your right to keep and bear arms. If you possess an intoxicating substance, no more Second Amendment for you. That is an outlier. And that is the problem that the U.S. government has. So, again, I don't think that um, Second Amendment groups are in nearly as awkward a position as the gun control groups, but I'm not holding my breath that Slate or any other lefty uh, website will talk about how the charges against Hunter Biden are incredibly awkward for the gun control lobby, right? Even though it's true. I mean, the gun control lobby says they're all in favor of common sense regulations, right? They're not opposed to the second. Well, some of them still maintain they're not opposed to the second amendment. The mask is slipping for some of these other groups. But this is still embarrassing. Joe Biden is their biggest ally in Washington, D.C. And now they're going to have to be the ones defending the law that Hunter Biden is accused of breaking. Just like Joe Biden's Department of Justice is going to have to be the agency prosecuting Hunter Biden for, again, breaking the gun laws that uh, Joe Biden holds so dear. And the DOJ, of course, maintains that only law-abiding people possess the right to keep and bear arms. 
that something uh, there is no limiting authority, by the way, to that argument. You know, we've been dealing with cases dealing with uh, civil uh, domestic violence restraining orders, uh, nonviolent uh, uh, convictions that led to a loss of gun rights in the case of Range versus Garland. Um, again, illegal users of drugs in possession of firearms. Uh, but those statutes, again, are all dealing with nonviolent offenders, right? And there's nothing in the DOJ's argument that can be limited to just those cases. Under their view of who possesses the right to keep their arms, again, it's only law-abiding citizens. So if you're on a red light or a stop sign, you get a speeding ticket, are you still law-abiding? Under the DOJ's view, do you still maintain the right to keep and bear arms? I don't think so. DOJ might argue otherwise, but that's certainly not what they're arguing in court. So if the lefty press wants to talk about the uh, awkwardness that has ensued as a result of the indictment against Hunter Biden, maybe they can start there with Giffords in every town. Well, I guess it's too late to start there. But maybe now that they've covered the supposed awkwardness at Gun Owners of America and NRA, maybe now they can turn their attention to the awkwardness in the gun control lobby. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a case out of Colorado, where a man who was accused of shooting multiple rounds at an apartment complex last Friday in Colorado Springs was already on probation and actually previously been convicted just a couple of months ago uh, on several gun charges. KRDO in Colorado Springs reports that 31-year-old Joey Romero is now facing 10 felony charges, including attempted assault, felony menacing, and possession of a weapon by a previous offender. Colorado Springs police responded to the Alpine Vista apartments on Friday evening. They found Romero with a gun in hand, shooting at buildings that were occupied. There was a three-hour standoff. The uh, Colorado Springs Police Department took him into custody eventually without incident. Uh, Romero apparently shot himself in the knee at one point. Uh, as KRDO reports, Romero no stranger to being placed in handcuffs by Colorado Springs officers. In fact, he was convicted of two separate crimes involving guns just four months ago. He was arrested a year ago, September 18th, 2022, on felony drug charges as well as possessing a large-capacity magazine in violation of Colorado law. This is one of these laws that, you know, when, when Democrats put them on the books in 2013, desperately needed. Got to have this law. Life-saving law. Oh, my gosh, if we don't have this law, we're not doing things right. Violent criminals are going to be able to right. And so now the law has been on the books for a decade. So what happens when somebody gets arrested and charged with that crime? Well, KRDO reports he was offered a plea deal by the 4th Judicial District Attorney's Office, uh, led by elected DA Michael Allen, that dropped the felony drug charges as well as the magazine charges. And instead, Romero agreed to plead guilty to possessing a gun while drunk, a misdemeanor. And again... Didn't plead guilty to possessing a gun while also having alcohol in his house, right? Nope. Pleaded guilty to possessing a gun while intoxicated. While he was out on pretrial bond in that case, he was arrested again by Colorado Springs police, this time on felony menacing with a weapon and possessing a gun while drunk charges. Once again, Romero would later plead guilty to both crimes, and he was sentenced by El Paso County Judge David Gilbert in both of these cases on May 12th of this year. Gilbert sentenced Romero to a deferred sentence of two years on probation. He was four months into that two-year sentence when, again, police caught him with a gun, actively firing rounds at occupied buildings at this apartment complex last Friday. Which begs the question, why did Romero 
get this plea deal to begin with. Now, KRDO actually didn't ask that question. I, they they, they, uh, they said um, uh, they asked three different agencies, Colorado Springs Police, the 4th Judicial DA's Office, and the El Paso County Probation Office, the same question. How did Romero get his hands on another rifle and large capacity magazine after these prior convictions? Well, that's easy enough to answer. Criminals don't obey the law. I mean, there you go. We don't know. Listen, we don't know if it was theft. We don't know if it was a, you know, a, a black market sale. We don't know if it was a straw purchase. We don't we don't know. We don't know if he just simply uh, kept a hold of one or more of his guns after his conviction when he was uh, told that he could no longer possess firearms. We, we don't know. But we do know that, again, criminals, no matter how restrictive the gun control regime in a particular state or a country might be, looking at you, Mexico, have no problem getting a hold of firearms as long as they're willing to break the law to do it. Again, the better question is, why was Mr. Romero uh, not sentenced to, I don't know, at least a little bit of jail time, particularly after uh, the second arrest for felony menacing? Now, again, keep in mind, again, he's been charged with multiple felonies. In this case, felony menacing, that is a violent offense. And yet, two years deferred probation. The uh, chief probation officer in El Paso County told uh, KRDO that Romero agreed to forfeit the guns used in his previous offenses as part of the plea deal with the DA's office. He says Colorado Springs police took the weapons used in those crimes, typically keeps them until someone is off of probation. Uh, He also said that uh, during the four months on probation, they had no concerns regarding his mental state, nor do they have any evidence that he possessed any additional guns. Until, of course, they did have concerns and realize that, oh, yeah, he's still got a gun. Uh, Kate Singh, Director of Communication for the 4th Judicial DA's office, issued this statement saying, in these cases, Romero was convicted of menacing a Class 5 felony as well as two counts of prohibited use of a weapon, which is a Class 1 misdemeanor. According to his sentence, the defendant was required to forfeit weapons and was prohibited from possessing firearms. Uh, defendant's been arrested and the case is being reviewed. Defendant will next appear in court September 26, blah, 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 blah. So they, they didn't give any answer whatsoever as to why this plea deal was offered. But again, Colorado Democrats, they're already looking at passing more gun control laws aimed at law-abiding citizens in the next session. Might even revive this uh, ban on so-called assault weapons that failed to make it out of the legislature this year. And here we have a perfect example of how the gun laws in Colorado, A, are not being enforced, they're being used as plea bargain bait, and B, how they're not impacting violent and prolific offenders in the slightest. Now, today's armed citizen story. Manchester, Kentucky. Don't have a lot of information on this. An intruder was shot during a break-in attempt. We'll say we've got a couple of other uh, armed citizen stories that we've been covering at Bearing Arms today that I would encourage you to uh, to check out. But uh, in this particular case, this was a Saturday about 1.45 in the morning, Kentucky State Police were notified of a shooting in Manchester. Clay County Sheriff's Office initially responded to the scene and then requested assistance from the state troopers. Preliminary investigation shows uh, 44-year-old Jason Smith of Manchester trying to break into a home when a a man living inside that residence confronted him at the front door. According to Kentucky State Police, a physical altercation took place leading to the male subject shooting Mr. Smith. He was taken to a local hospital there in Manchester. He was later flown by air evac to a uh, hospital in Lexington, Kentucky, before succumbing to his injuries. Um, case will be presented to the Clay County Grand Jury, uh, but at this point, again, looks like a clear-cut case of self-defense. We'll uh, keep our eyes open for any more information and details on this uh, shooting uh, if and when they become available. And finally today, 
in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A couple of off-duty firefighters looking to enjoy a, uh, well, <laughs> hoping to enjoy a Patriots game this uh, Sunday. I don't know if they uh, had a good time, but they did save a life before the game. They were uh, waiting for kickoff Sunday night when a uh, nearby fan fell to the ground, suffering cardiac arrest. And uh, about 10 minutes, Anthony Colella of the uh, Johnson, Rhode Island Fire Department, and Mark McCullough of the Needham, Massachusetts Fire Department, provided CPR, actually getting this man's heartbeat back and eventually restoring him to consciousness. Coletta said uh, Monday morning, this is what we're trained for. So we're, we're still we're trained to jump in. Uh, Coletta and his girlfriend were uh, in Gillette Stadium's uh, atrium, standing under the uh, video board. They saw police officers rushing into the area. McCullough was at the game with some friends, and he was standing nearby, and he saw the officers again rush by. About 15 yards away, they noticed a guy on the ground. So McCullough and Colella, who didn't know each other, ran over the same time, felt for a pulse, found none, noticed that he wasn't breathing, and that's when they started CPR. After a couple of minutes, they said they could tell that he was starting to possibly breathe on his own, but he appeared to be choking. He had vomited in his airway. Firefighters were able to clear the airway. They talked to the man as he regained consciousness, became aware of what had happened. He was also bleeding from the head, apparently uh, hit his noggin as he fell to the ground. Uh, both McCullough and Colella say they believe that the man suffered a cardiac arrest. He had eaten about an hour before and they collapsed with no explanation, according to family members. McCullough, who's been a firefighter in Needham for the past 22 years, says he's helped out with medical incidents while off-duty before, but never one as serious as this, where he actually needed to perform CPR and revive somebody without a pulse. Uh, and he said, just like we say every day here during this segment, it was just a case of being in the right place at the right time. He said, that's all I can say. It's a rarity. Thank God Anthony and I were there. Anthony Colella says it's not every day you perform CPR on somebody and they're talking to you afterwards. Right place, right time. Yeah, and again, those are two very important factors, right? Being in the right place at the right time, but also being willing and able to do the right thing in that situation help to save a life. And so, again, these uh, firefighters at the uh, Pats game there in uh, Massachusetts, Anthony Colella, Mark McCullough, we thank you for your very, very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Marion Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, I'm looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. Don't forget as well, Wednesdays, you know, we do our VIP Gold live chat with Hot Airs Ed Morrissey and myself, 1.30 Eastern. If you want to be a part of that, chance to kick around some of the top stories of the week, all you have to do, go to BarionArms.com slash subscribe, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP or your VIP Gold membership, which will give you access to the entire Town Hall family of uh, websites. Uh, you'll get exclusive content and uh, information from all of them, including BarionArms.com. It's our way of showing our thanks for your support. And again, just go to BarionArms.com slash subscribe if you want to know more. Have a great rest of your 2A Tuesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.